Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm Greg B., joined as always by Jacob. Hello. And today we're going to be reviewing Eldritch Horror. First, let's talk about what we've been playing lately. Yeah, so I mentioned it on the last podcast, but I actually did uh, get First Martians, finally. You did, yes, and you got it to table. I got it to table twice, even. All right. I hear the first time had some of those uh, rules confusions that are so common with us. Yeah, I I honestly don't know if Ignazi Chevichek, the the producer and the designer of the game, learned all too much from his experience with writing the Robinson rulebook, because this one was also a bit confusing. Mm. There were a lot of questions that were still in there, and there were things that, yes, they were in the rulebook. But they just were not clear. Sure. And it was it was frustrating when I when we first played the game, though it was good to know that afterwards this is one thing that I was really happy about. So the game literally like started coming to people last week. Right. And even within that time, there are now official FAQs and answers from Ignazi himself on Board Game Geek for every single one of the the missions. Wow. Okay. That's. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly responsive, and it's good. You know, it's one of those things that you sort of wish that they were already in the rule book and that they didn't have to do that. But it is good that they're being, you know, responsive and, and answering those questions. And, I mean, the thing is that even with that, like, they were in the rule book. It was just in a way that, like, wasn't as understandable as when you get an answer to a question. Right. Because, like, later on when I... Uh, there were a few things that I was really happy with. First, there was that, the FAQs that I was able to find... But the other thing was that Ignazi had a series of videos, I believe it was seven or eight videos, that were just explaining the rules okay. of how the, each part worked. So that didn't cover everything, all the questions that I had, but it A, confirmed some of the th- ways that I played, mm-hmm. and B, it also just answered some of the other things, some of the things that I was like worried about. It's like, th- was I doing this wrong? Was I doing this right? That kind of stuff. Right. But then there were other things that like, yeah, they were... They were stated in the rules themselves, but they just weren't as obvious as I would like them to be. Sure. And I mean, I guess then again, when you've got a, a game as complex and as intricate as, you know, Robinson Crusoe or First Martians, that's almost to be expected. You know, there's only so much playtesting that you can do, and you're not going to get answers to every corner case until after you go live and someone breaks your game. Exactly. So, it's just something that, like, for example, you just weren't wouldn't, we wouldn't be sure of exactly whether or not like that would be something someone would have trouble with. Right. So it's like when we were supposed to build these other facilities. So when I played it the first time, it was like, okay, so I had to build these just, but it also said at that point, don't forget to put the red markers on all the squares. And I'm like, so does building them mean removing all of the red markers or is it like one action to build it? Like what's going on here? Turns out like it was one of the questions in the FAQ that no, you have them not built, then you build them, but they have red markers and everything. And they are then fully functional, but also get the the effects of the red markers or like uh, the problems that are in there. Interesting. And then like you fix them up from there. Okay. So they are fully functional, which is nice because you can just immediately build an extra farm, an extra um, solar panel, an extra uh, oxygenator. They're just maybe not as efficient or as effective. They, they give you penalties with them because right. it's just like when they're shut off, they can even they can either add to the malfunctioning that might happen in that block. 
And in general, like once I got that down, the first scenario that I played twice actually started to become a lot more like interesting in terms of like, I know what I'm doing now. I can focus on like how to strategize this scenario and everything. Right. And that's, it's definitely that type of game. You know, yeah. it's a game where you sort of, okay, you know, we're going to do a dry run. Okay, we're going to do a test run. And now we can consider ourselves really not, you know, versed necessarily in the game, but at least understand what it is that's expected of us and maybe what we're, we're supposed to do about it. Exactly, exactly. So that really helped uh, once I was able to understand that. And the app worked really well. Good, good. Um, I was happy with it. At first, I didn't really understand some parts of how it worked. There was in setup, for example, they have an option there to just like go ahead and start the game instead of like forcing you to click through the setup. So it's like I just saw the big button, press the big button. And because the arrow to like go from one part of the setup to the other was like in the like top right hand corner of like mm. where the text was. Gotcha. So I like missed that part and then like had it set up wrong a little bit and then went back and was like, oh wait, we have to actually do this, 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 and this. Right. Um, so that was a little bit, that's just a few tweaks that I would like in the, in the thing. But in general, like it adds to the game quite a bit. It like, you don't have the human element of like, you know, people reading the bottom of the card for Robinson or anything like that. So it was, it was good. Good deal. Yeah. Well, I know I'm excited to play that as well. You're hoping to get it to table again this week, maybe next week, Yep. but on sort of the very opposite type of cooperative game, we've also been playing Zombicide. Yes. Uh, we had our stream for that last week, plenty of chaotic fun. Uh, mm -hmm. Nobody died. Yes, they did. What? We had one character death. When? It was... Oh, right! Yes! Wow, just goes to show you how much attention I paid. That's right. We did have one character who just Fall sort staff. of... Yeah, bloodlusted his way around the map, which allows him to move and attack, um, and just ended up overextended. And none of us were able to get into a position where we could actually heal him or shield him or protect him or anything like that, so... It was really tough, you know, because statistically, it was a situation where he should have been able to clear enough of the enemies that he wouldn't die. But, you know, it was just a bad roll. He didn't have any re-rolls. And it just goes to show you that sometimes statistically is not enough. So, yeah, yeah you know, I totally we forgot had, that. We had two different like things. We had you, the, the game before that, that statistically shouldn't have been able to survive. Right. And did. And then this time, it was the opposite. Yeah. Man, fickle. Yep. Statistics... Very fickle mistress. Yeah. But yeah, so Zombicide was a lot of fun. We'll be doing that again next week. Mm -hmm. We hope that you uh, you tune in, you enjoy the stream. We know, of course, that we enjoy playing. Yeah. It's always a bunch of chaotic fun. Lots of zombie killing goodness. For sure. Yeah. Then we've also been playing some non-cooperative games. Yep. We played just a couple quick rounds of Tides of Madness. Yes, we did. Recently. And that, that's always a lot of fun. I mean, it's a really quick game, two players... The iteration on Tides of Time, which I actually really like. Mm -hmm. uh, I like the madness element in it and just being able to like uh, punish people for like taking all the best cards and that kind right. of stuff. It's a very important balance element because yeah. otherwise one of the sort of things with Tides of Time was that, you know, you could stockpile the cards, you could end up with them in your hand if you had a good turn and you could put relics on them, keep them in play and just sort of run away with the game. But madness almost inherently prevents you from being able to do that just because if you try to do that you'll go insane and then you'll lose <laughs> so it's it is a, a very well designed sort of 
counterbalance to that runaway strategy, which I really appreciate. Yeah, definitely. I, I really did like that a lot. And then we just actually finished playing a game of Roll for the Galaxy. Yeah, um, that's one that you've had on your shelf for a little while now, a couple months at least. About a year, actually, right now, because I got it at the used game sale last year. Well, there you go. How wonderfully symmetrical. Yeah. But yeah, so that was our, our first time actually playing it, though. And it was interesting. We're, um, we're going to have a lot more to say about it next week when we, when we take a look at both Roll for the Galaxy and its predecessor, Race for the Galaxy, and talk about ways in which they're similar, ways in which they're different, how they succeed, where they sort of fall down. But preliminary thoughts, it was interesting. It had a lot of the same sort of prediction mechanics where you have to not only be focusing on what you're doing, but also thinking about, okay, what does my opponent have in their tableau? What do they need to do this round? What can I safely allocate resources towards expecting them to activate that phase? Mm -hmm. But then that was sort of magnified by the fact that you don't have total control like you do with the cards in Race for the Galaxy. You've got your dice, you're rolling, and you never know what you're going to get. You know, there's forms of mitigation. You can switch one die to another type using tiles, using Mm -hmm. some default actions. But it is just that extra little bit of chance. So that was really interesting. I think it definitely warrants another couple of playthroughs. And hopefully, you know, we'll have some some pretty great insights for you all next week. Yeah, especially comparing it to the game that started it all. (laughs) Right. Yeah, your your first... My first, I guess, real, like types of euro game other than like the introductory ones like right that. your first hobby game yes yeah yeah exactly well, yeah so that is a look at what we've been playing recently puny mortals you dare summon the great cthulhu wait is that open for i love that game it's all about me yes Great God Cthulhu, Eldritch Horror is a game that is all about you and a handful of other gods. But that is the subject of our review today. Yeah, so we're talking about Eldritch Horror, and this is, first of all, a cooperative game when you, where you are working against the Great God Cthulhu or any of his other pantheon of Lovecraftian horrors. Elder beasts, basically. Yeah, pretty much. And so... You're trying to defend the world from this by being investigating all the crazy occurrences that are happening all over the world and all the major cities and everything like that. You have some cultists popping up. You have some creatures from the great unknown happening and all that kind of stuff. So it's a fun game. And it's all based on you know your characters having a certain number of actions per turn that you go through. And you're trying to like pretty much keep from going insane while also keeping the world from collapsing. Yeah, that's uh, a pretty good summary. At the beginning of the game, during setup, each player chooses an investigator. And investigators have an action, which is unique to them, which they can perform. So things like maintaining their equilibrium for the martial artist allows them to rebalance their health and their sanity. The politician can give another player an action to take as though it were their turn, so on and so forth. They also have an ability, which is either a passive or a triggered thing that just gives them some sort of additional benefit. And then they have a stat spread. So the game really revolves around a series of tests for five different attributes. You've got physical stuff like strength, like perception, agility, things like that. And then you've got some of your more mental things, will, lore, fortitude of mind. 
that govern a lot of the checks around not going insane, things like that. So each of your investigators is going to have a different balance to those stats. Some of them are going to be heavy hitters. They're going to have really high strength, not so much in the lower will department. Some of them are going to be balanced, twos and threes across the board, and others of them are going to be, you know, at the opposite end of the spectrum, very good mental stats, not so much on the physical end. Yeah. And uh, these stats, like the, the amount that you have in them, is pretty much what that does is that lets you roll that many dice. So each stat, if you have, let's say, two in strength or uh, might or whatever they're called. Yeah, whatever it's called. Exactly. If you have two in that, you roll two dice whenever you have to do a might test. And you will succeed on anything that is a five or a six. And normally, many of the tests will ask for a certain number of successes. So there are going to be some that say, if you have any successes, you can go, you, you pass this test, but also others that don't. And you get to choose your investigator at the very beginning of the game before you know who the Lovecraftian horror who you are facing is. Right. You choose your investigator before you find out the flavor of the week, which is really important because the different Elder Gods have different things that their mechanics sort of revolve around. Shabnagurath, the Black Goat, focuses mostly on monsters, on physical combat, things like that, whereas Cthulhu is much more about following clues, investigating, and managing your sanity. So since you don't know which god you're going to be facing, it's very important for the party at large to try to aim for a balanced composition, because you're probably going to want someone who can take care of the physical stuff, you're going to want someone who can take care of the mental stuff, things like closing gates, tracking down clues... And then you're going to want a couple of generalists in between to sort of balance things out. Exactly, exactly. And then once the game starts, you get to do certain actions. So you have the game set up. You're all starting usually in different cities all around. It's uh, based on your own character. And this is one of the cool things. It's like your characters each have, like they actually do have a little bit of a story. And on the back, if you know something happens, whether you win or lose you can have a little bit of extra text, something else that happens to your character, which is cool. So the game is played in phases. Right. Pretty right. standard for a co-op game. Yep. You start with the action phase. And that is pretty much where all of the investigators get to do their actions. Surprise, surprise. So the types of actions that you can do include moving. So you can move from, uh, from one node to another. So one city to another. If they're connected by one one line without any other nodes in between, you can go across the Pacific, you can go across the Atlantic, whatever you like. Time is relative. Exactly. Uh, so you can do that. Then you can all you can also do an action called prepare to move when you can acquire uh, tickets. So you can acquire a train ticket or a boat ticket. So this is all being played before they were really widely available aircraft. Mm -hmm. These tickets allow you to move over that type of transportation one extra node per ticket that you have during a move action. So if you wanted to go across the Atlantic and then move one more, like let's say through mainland Europe or something like that, you could do that by using a ticket uh, for a train, most likely. Mm -hmm. Another action that you can do is you can trade. So you can trade with anyone else who's on your spot, give them your items or equipment, take the equipment from them, however you like to do that. And then you can also rest. So when you rest, you regain one health and one sanity. 
And that's just, you know, maintenance, trying to get yourself back up to a decent place at least. Each adventurer, though, also has their own like, signature action. So each investigator will have something that they can do, usually as an action, that is, you know, just to them. You can do something like the martial artist, for example. They can spend an action in order to rebalance their chi, meaning that they can move one of their sanity to their physical health or physical health to their sanity. So that's really cool. That's usually useful. There are other, other ones who will just allow people to heal better, allow people to do other things. So it, those can be very, very useful. Right. And interestingly, during the action phase, it mostly centers on movement, sort of upkeep, maintenance, those types of things. It's very rare that you'll actually be affecting the game board in any way during the action phase. You don't fight monsters during the action phase. You don't solve mysteries during the action phase. Instead, all of that happens during the encounter phase, phase two of a round. After everyone's performed their actions, moved, rested, done whatever they wanted, gotten to wherever they wanted to be, you enter the encounter phase, where based on where you are and what's there with you, you can draw different types of encounters. And this is a really interesting mechanic because it allows you to get into a lot of the more unique flavor. So if you are on one of the nine major cities, you can draw a card matching that city's color, and you'll get a very specific type of action. So for San Francisco, one of the events is there's a local police officer who asks you to help investigate some murders in Chinatown. Very unique, very flavorful, with very specific rewards. And each of the cities tells you, generally speaking, what types of rewards you're likely to get there, whether it's improving a stat, whether it's acquiring new spells, those sorts of things. Um, other types of encounters include just generic, you know, if you're in the wilderness, you run into some cultists, so no. Um, or if you're on the location of a gate, which is the, essentially a portal to another plane that spawns monsters, you can actually attempt to resolve a gate encounter, which allows you to close that gate permanently. So it's very flexible in terms of what it allows you to do, and it's also where combat happens. If you end your turn, or begin your encounter phase, rather, on any space with a monster, before you can perform a regular encounter, you have to fight each and every monster on that space in sequence. If, after that process has happened, you haven't cleared all of those monsters, you can't actually take a non-combat encounter. So, speaking of monsters... There are a lot of different kinds of baddies in the game. Most of them are centered upon generic kinds of evil baddies. So you've got things like vampires. I think that there was a yeti at some point. Or there are quite a few other kinds of baddies that you would just find in most kind of fantasy-ish type of lore. But they also have the cultists, which are actually a pretty interesting kind of baddie because they change based on who the elder god is, and that gives them a special kind of powers. So when we were facing Gig, for example, they had a certain physical health and a certain terror. Horror. Horror, what they call it. And during the latter part of the game, it actually gained some other stats, including like if you got hit by them, you get poisoned. That brings us to pretty much how you win the game. So the way that you win the game is that you solve all three of the mysteries. And if you solve them before the Elder God awakens, well then, good job. You prevented the awakening of an Elder God. Congratulations to you. Yippee! 
Um, <laughs> Alternatively, <laughs> Jacob's chipper tone belies what happens if you don't manage to solve all three mysteries before the Elder God awakens, in which case, usually an epic monster is put onto the field, cultists get stronger, things get harder, you get weaker, and then you still have to solve all three mysteries in addition to killing the awakened Elder God. Yep. There are different manifestations of each god you know some of them put themselves into play some of them put their champions or avatars or what have you into play one of them in particular azathoth just when he awakens the game ends you lose surprise you suck like that's really all there is to it so awakening is definitely something that you want to avoid and you do that by just solving the mysteries as fast as possible exactly exactly yeah, either you solve the mysteries before the Elder Gods awaken, or you have to solve them and then punch an Elder God in the face. Right. More or less effectively. Yes, exactly. This probably already sounds pretty difficult, and well, yes, it is. This is a cooperative game. It is brutal, for sure. But that's how it's supposed to be. I mean, it is a cooperative game that is supposed to kick your ass for most of the time, and it's supposed to feel like you really got through something really difficult in order to, to actually win. Right. And even more than, you know, just feeling like you're not in control and feeling like you're running around, character death is built into the game. It's pretty much expected that one or more investigators are going to die over the course of the game. And that's not really a problem. If you die, you're not out of the game. You just get to pick a new investigator. And it's not even always a bad thing because the previous investigator's body remains where it is. You can pick up their stuff as an encounter. When you do, there's often an opportunity to sort of forestall the awakening of the Elder God. And also, picking a new investigator is frequently a chance for the party to sort of rebalance. You know, like we mentioned at the beginning, you're picking your investigators before you find out who you're facing. So if all of a sudden you realize, oh, wait a minute, we're exclusively doing mental checks, this soldier that we invested in is not really that helpful... Let's switch to, like, the mystic or the redeemed cultist or something like that. And it gives you an opportunity to sort of change it up mid-game. Exactly. And you mentioned items. So that's another thing that we haven't really talked about. And the things that your characters can have. So uh, it is another action that you can do during your turn, if you're in a big city, to go and buy items, depending on your negotiation skill, pretty much. Right. And... The items themselves are composed of a few different kinds, a lot of different kinds of things. So first, in the items category, you have services, which are like one-time things. They're just, boom, they happen, you get the benefit, and that's it. You have your companions, who are pretty much just people who are with you throughout this journey, and they give you usually a flat bonus to a single kind of skill. So it's like whenever you use X, you get an extra die. Or treat it as if you had plus one. Right. And then the last kind is the the weapons themselves, for the most part. Or you have both weapons and like tomes and other things like that, but mostly uh, weapons and things that give you a plus for something much more specific. So you could get something that gives you a plus for whenever you are in combat or whenever you are doing a certain type of skill check, then they will give you that plus. So they're a little bit less versatile, but usually a bit more powerful. Right. And then you have spells. Now, spells are very thematically correct in the universe of Lovecraftian mythology in that 
there's always a chance for them to go wrong. Oh, yeah. And the really unique thing about spells in this game, which actually also applies to the conditions that you're taking, the cards are two-sided. So on the front, you'll have, you know, this is the spell that you're casting. Roll, lore, and then flip this card over. And so there will be three different versions of teleportation, each of which will have slight variations based on which iteration of the card you have. So where one of them might say, if you succeed by two or more, you arrive and nothing happens. One of them might say, if you succeed by two or more, you still take one sanity loss because of the, you know, just the sheer horror of traveling through interdimensional space. So they've got minor tweaks and minor variations. And it really speaks to, from what I understand, is the inconsistency and chaos of magic in the source material. And as I mentioned, conditions work the same way. If you gain a uh, a cursed condition, that'll have certain generic effects on the front, but then it'll say, under certain conditions, flip this over, and each of those different curses has a slightly different effect on you. So it always keeps you a little bit on your toes until you flip it over for the first time, and you have to sort of plan for every contingency, which I think is great game design. Exactly, and same thing even for the good things like boons. They definitely do have different things on each side, like whether or not you lose it, whether or not there's something else that happens. So this all just makes it really interesting to play. It gives like some really cool modifiers during the game, and some of them can be brutally difficult for that matter as well. Now that we've talked a little bit about just the game itself, how it feels, how it plays, let's talk about how no game is perfect. So this game is not without its issues, and one of the major ones, for me anyway, is some of the rules inconsistencies, or just they aren't able to put everything in the rulebook. Right. So there are things like how many weapons you can actually hold. Like we've, We had discussions about that. Do you hold one weapon? Do you hold multiple weapons? Can you use multiple weapons in a single combat, or do you have to like choose which one to use? So it's things like that that you don't really know. And other things like monster effects. So, for example, if you have a monster out that says, like, whenever this thing happens, spawn this other kind of monster, but there's only one of them, and it's like, okay, so do, does that one leave and then get respawned? Does that one stay where it is? Like, what is the actual procedure for things like this? Right, yeah, there's definitely... You know, some of those, again, corner cases that are going to catch you up. They're going to leave you wondering, okay, well, what do we do now? And you kind of just have to muddle through. One of the other things that I find pretty frustrating about the game is the fact that some of the elements aren't as well integrated. There's a mechanic called expeditions. I've played this game three times. I honestly cannot tell you what an expedition is or what the benefit of it is. And the fact that I've won two out of the three games... I think really just speaks to the fact that expeditions aren't terribly well integrated into the rest of the game. So when you've got a game like this that has, you know, we've mentioned some really great design points and then also some weaker points, it really just makes you wonder, okay, well, what's the point of including this? You could easily take out that mechanic. You could take out those pieces and have a more streamlined game that isn't any different, really, much less worse. Exactly. And the last thing would be just the variable length of the game. I mean, a game that you could sit down and you could play for two and a half hours, or you could sit down and play for nine hours. Like we did. Yes, exactly. So we've done both. We've we've played for like two and a half to three hours, got it done, and even like one in that time. 
or we've had to play for nine hours to get it to get through a scenario so i mean therein lies a little bit of an issue because if you're sitting down to play this game you want to be able to finish it because it's a fun game but that means that you can't play it at any other time than maybe a weekend when you have the whole day free and even then it's just like oh we finished in two and a half hours so now do we want to start another one and risk it going for nine or are we going to you know just play something different yeah yeah ain't nobody got time for that exactly literally but that all being said what did you think of the game greg Overall, I really like it. I think it is a great co-op game that keeps you on your toes. As I've mentioned a couple of different times, you never feel in control, which is both the hallmark of a great co-op game and the hallmark of a great Lovecraft game, I feel personally. So I think it's very successful on those fronts. However, it's, as we've mentioned, quite long and also quite heavy. There's just a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot going on. It's a major investment not only of time but sort of of mental energy and getting it to the table can be difficult if you haven't primed your game group to be ready to do that so for that reason my enthusiasm sort of wanes a bit and i'm going to go ahead and give it a play it for my rating yeah i agree with most of those points i mean it's hard to bring a game to table when you you don't know how long it's going to take everyone that's one of the first questions people ask how long is this game going to take right and yeah it's extremely taxing like you need to have a game group that wants to sit through a pretty brutal game but when you do it is very rewarding and i definitely really enjoy playing it and bringing it to table every once in a while but i will also say if you have someone else in the game group your local store someone else i would definitely say play it not buy it All right, so real quick before we head out, we do want to talk about a couple of games that are similar. If you like this, you may like them, or vice versa. The first being Shadow Rift. Again, punishingly difficult, cooperative game. Obviously very different in terms of the mechanics. Shadow Rift is card-centric, whereas Eldritch Horror is sort of dudes on a map moving around positioning. But they fill a lot of the same niches in terms of having different scenarios that you're going to have to deal with. In each Shadow Rift and Eldritch Horror, you've got a particular faction or a particular boss, and you're going to have to tailor your strategy in order to successfully complete that. So if you're looking for a cooperative experience that's going to be similar but different on a game-to-game basis, definitely check out Shadow Rift. Yep, and then otherwise a game that is similar in terms of the mechanics themselves... Pandemic definitely comes to mind. It is a game that you're traveling all over the world, you have those limited movements, limited uh, actions that you can do, and you're trying to stem the flow of, in Pandemic, the disease in Eldritch, well, in Eldritch Horror coming to life. And both games have the the action economy, the triage kind of a gameplay where you, you have to prioritize what is the exact thing that you want to work on, what is it that you want to solve right now. So both games really have that kind of aspect. And the map is similar in terms of like the nodes and like areas and that kind of stuff. And having to, you know, go to an emergency across the globe, which is not easy at all in both games. So I really do think that if you want something like Eldritor, but a lot lighter, something to get your friends in, Pandemic is up there. Well, there you go. That's our review of Eldritor. This review approved by Cthulhu.
Thank you for joining us for our review of Eldritch Horror. We hope that you enjoyed it. WashingCon is September 9th and 10th this year. Tickets are on sale right now. There are going to be a lot of really cool people there. We'll be there. Some really great game designers. We're going to have panels. We're going to have a lot of different cool events. We really hope to see you there. You should come out, hang out with us, hang out with them, bring your friends, bring your families. It's going to be a lot of fun, and we really hope that you will join us. This week, we will be streaming Zombicide Black Plague once more. So it is going to be on Wednesday. Please join us for that and say hello in the chat. We'd love to hear from you. And finally, don't forget to join us next week for our review and comparison of Race for the Galaxy and Roll for the Galaxy. And along with that, we are announcing now that we are going to have a giveaway that week. So be sure to tune in for more details about what's going to happen and what we're giving away.